This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest edition of the uh, Royal Blue Podcast. And for those of you who can see us there, it looks like we're in a bit of a blue haze there, as if we were on the Goodison Road, about to welcome the coach. Um, Paul's in the thick of it there. He's just let, it off, let off a flare. Um, and your host, Chris Beasley, joined by Paul Wheelock. Matt Jones, nice and cosy here in Echo Towers. And Gavin Buckland, who's keeping his distance, he's um, back home uh, as usual. But um, yeah, well, I mean, where do we start? We did go through all of um, Farhad Mashiri's um, latest chat with Jim White um, in Friday's podcast um, before the game. Um, I, I suppose we should start with the football itself and um, turn to you, Paul. Um, it, it was a must-win fixture, I would say, for Everton, and they didn't win it. They didn't just not win it. They, they lost it. No, and. Uh... <clears throat> We deserve it. We lost it. I'm not saying Southampton were much better than Everton, but you know, if we can't come away from that game and, and, and say there was any bad luck on Everton's part, you know, the, the, the right start of well, pretty started pretty well in the match, got the goal very similar to Wolves. Uh, and even though uh, going into half time, I still think <clears throat> the warning signs were there. Pickford made that save onto the post. Mm-hmm. There's the free header that he also saved, and there's a couple of opportunities. Southampton, I think it was on oh, Everton's left side, their right side, where he probably didn't use the right ball in the end. But there was enough warning signs to know that this was still going to be a close match. But to concede a goal like that a minute into the second half, it just completely took the wind out of the team sails. The, the mood changed in the ground. Anxiety began to, to creep in, and I'm probably not the only one that had absolutely no surprise when that they actually got the winner because I thought we ran out of ideas after a, a good little spell to start, start the second half, but we ran out of ideas well well before the end. Uh, and yeah, this, this, this is really, really depressing at the moment because we've just lost to the team that is bottom and probably in prior to losing to a very good Brighton side, we lost to the team who was bottom then. You know, it, it was a must-win match. And we didn't do it, and we didn't deserve to do it. And you know, we are where we are at the moment. It's just there. Uh, obviously, we'll talk about what it was like off the field yeah. at the game on this on on, on Saturday. Uh, but as, as as horrible as that is off the field, having to go through what we're going through as fans at the moment on the field, there's just absolutely nothing to get excited about. Uh, it, was, it was a really tough day. Yeah, Gav, just how bad was that from you from a from a football perspective? It was bad in that. I didn't agree with the setup for the start. I think you're playing the team at home. Team, you're playing the team at home and they're at the bottom of the table and you're playing five at the back. And I just don't get that. I, I found that frankly baffling. Frankly. Mm. Um, baffling, to be honest with you. 5-3-2 um, is, you know, you, you need to have your two full-back. You know, I, the only team I can think of would play 5-3-2 is Brazil in 2002, and they had like you need you need two attacking fullbacks, and we had Caf, they had Cafu and Roberto Carlos, and you need a really really good midfield, and they had like sort of Rivaldo, and, you know Ronaldinho and stuff, and so that's painting not our stance, you know. So we play five three two with two fullbacks. Coleman's legs have gone, and Michelenko's not great going forward. We haven't got three ball playing midfielders. And we didn't play a two, did we? We played Carver-Lewin and Grace also floated around the pitch. And so consequently, you know, instead of a, a must-win game, we set up in a formation like you would do against Man City away and Man United away, where you would, you know, you're looking to 
stop the opposition playing and maybe hit them on the break and you know a team that's patently stronger than you countering their their threats we're playing southampton at home we should be forcing the issue we should be we should be we lose an attacking player and replace them with a defensive player so consequently by the time we come to change it the second half it's too late and you know there's no point pumping long balls to carver lou and if you've got five men at the back and if you're going to do that, play Mopay off them. So play two. You should be playing two strikers with five, three, two. And I, I just thought that you know, if you're Southampton, you're looking at that and you're thinking, tell you what, they don't fancy it today, do they? The way they've set up, and um, they're, they're, they're very cautious. And, and I think that sort of set the tone for me. We did have good spells, I think, just before half time. Come back, come back. You know, at the start of the second half, thinking, well, that, that couple of minutes before half time could be the turning point in our season. Go one nil ahead. And they unluckily hit the post and um, comes out and great save by Pickford, obviously. And then 56 seconds later, you know, that that sort of, that dream has ended. So, yeah, it was, um, the game was lost, I think, before the game. To be honest with you, for me, is that we didn't do enough in our setup to to force the issue, to force the game to get the three points. Yeah. Do you concur with that, Matt, in, in the way you felt it went wrong? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I think me and Gas disagree a little bit about the system when we, we spoke mm-hmm. on Friday, and I said I, I would have gone with with the five at the back. And I, I totally get what, what Gav's saying there, but I just look at this team and the players in it, the way it's coached, the, the confidence. And I don't think we can look, be looking at any team at the moment to go, well, we're playing this team at home and therefore we should be forcing the issue because they haven't shown that they're capable of doing that in, in any game this season. And I still think Everton's best way of winning football matches at the moment is making games horrible, is making them tight and trying to find a way through with a set piece like we did to get one at the weekend and then trying to lean on that that back five. Because I honestly think if we've gone and tried to play expansive football against Southampton, if we played Tarkovsky, Cody and Coleman in, in, in a back four, then they would have cut us open as well. And I think it just, I'm, I'm sort of past the point of talking about formations and tactics and plays and well Lampard sounded like he was actually based on what he says the plays at all time as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, but I, I just I just look at this group and I just think it is a really poor set of players. And I think players like Gordon and, and McNeil and, and others who maybe are on the bench at the weekend that people looking at and go, maybe we should have played them, maybe we should have played them. These are lads who've been in the team for a long part of the season and then he's let us down and disappointed in, in, in terms of in terms of application, in terms of quality. They've let us down on every single level. So I, I don't really think that changing the formation or, or changing the approach would make too much difference. I just think that this is a bad set of players that are, are so low on confidence and with a manager who just looks completely lost. Um, now, it, it would be brutally honest, and this is only heading in, in one direction. So it's, um, it's, it is really worrying. And I think that the, the one main thing I'll take away from, from this game is that even the, the team at the bottom of the Premier League I've got a lad in their squad who can be a game changer in, in Ward Prowse. You know, they, they've got a player there who can drag them over the line when they're not playing yeah. particularly well with a bit of class for the, the first goal and a set piece for the second one. And it feels like every team in the Premier League has got at least one of those fellas they can rely on to, to pull them out the mire. You know, go back to Wolves at, at Goodison a, a few weeks ago when they brought on a you know, 50 million pound midfielder in Nunez who, who changed the game. You know, you go through every single team in this league and there's someone there who can drag the team out the mire. Everton haven't got that. They haven't got a Rush Allison anymore. Maybe you could say to a degree it was picked at the times last season as well. But as an outfield player and someone who's going to drag this team over the line, that that person doesn't exist in the squad at the moment. And that is a big, big issue. 
Can, can just add in there, Matt and yeah. panel. Would you think Onana could be like that? I, I don't know. I mean, that was the first time for me that he's probably got a header on target all season. <laughs> I think his header's been pretty yeah, yeah. for a big lad. And he played that well, didn't he? And, and I think he's he's found his natural position now as a six. And it looks like, you know, because his best attribute for me is his tackling. And he was excellent, sort of sweeping up in front of that, that back four, giving the ball simple. He drove forward a couple of times with the middle as well, didn't he? Which was, was quite encouraging. But I, I, I just look from an attacking point of view. You know, Gavin, you, know, you go through all, all those sides. You know, I know Leicester are down there at the moment and, and West Ham as well. But there are players in their teams that you look at and they came to play. You know, we played Leicester at Goodison, we got both Madison and Barnes while they were excellent. You know, West Ham have got players like, you know, Declan Rice in there. They've got someone like Lucas Paquetta, who's a, a really classy footballer, who's maybe starting to, to come to the boil a little bit now. I don't think we've got anyone like that who can just, just flip a game for us. Um, you know, Damari Gray's done it a little bit, but he's, you know, after a good few games, he was back to his usual frustrating self at the weekend. And I don't know, I just think the league now is, is so stacked full of high quality managers and high quality players that it seems like that class has been shared around to everybody yeah. apart from us. And that, that is a little bit worrying. Yeah, I mean, if we're talking about formations and, and personnel, Paul, I mean, it's something that Michael Ball was talking about in his column that we've got coming up later. Um, it's been mentioned already, Seamus Coleman, and he, he tried to get forward, but obviously he's, he's very much at the end, towards the end of his career now, and Mikhailenko has never been part of his game. Um, you've got somebody like Calvert-Lewin in the middle, yet you've got those two out wide and they're not providing him with the supply line. No, no, not at all. It's, again, I can understand both arguments that uh, Gav and Matt were putting forward there. It's, you know, we the, when we play five at the back with two wing-backs, I can understand why Lampard's trying to do is to try and keep it solid because I, I actually agree. I like, I think we should be going for teams more, but what happens? I think we did that against Brighton and the better teams just pick us off. You know, Brighton just bided the time, 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and then the game changed. Uh, but we do need to win games as well. But I, Coleman proved on Saturday. I you know, love Seamus Coleman. It's what he's done for this club. is amazing over the years. But Saturday was one of those indicators where he, he, he tried, he gave it everything. But it, it's there's certain games and that one on Saturday was not for him. And it, it, if we were going to go solid... I understand that one nil trying we got the lead, but my concern about probably this team and, and the manager is that we've had two games at home recently where we've gone one up, but we don't look like whether it's the players or it's whether it's the coaching setup. I just don't trust us to see a game out, and that's what really worries me at the moment. We're not going to win games. Say like Leeds, for instance, you you watch them and you think, yeah, they may lose quite a few, but this. Against Villa on Friday night, if they take the chances, they might have won that game 4-2. I don't think we've got a 4-2 in us. But only I don't think we've got 1-0 in us either. I don't I think we're like the worst of both worlds. We don't score enough goals, but we don't compensate that by clean sheets. I think we're too open. And I think I've said it onto this podcast before. I think the club, particularly earlier this season, put a lot of pride on an emphasis on the fact that we had the best goal scoring record. And at one stage in the league, we did the stats against the goals against, but even in those games, West Ham at home, coming away thinking, God, if Pickford doesn't, even the derby, Pickford doesn't make some of the saves he makes, the woodwork was in our favour, Tarkovsky blocking balls left, right and centre. Even then, you kind of got the feeling we're not as solid as maybe that goals against suggests, uh, record suggests. So I, I, I'm, I'm stuck. Like, I'm stuck. I don't know what, I don't know what you'd do. And I definitely agree this group of players is probably 
among the weakest we've had, and certainly losing Richarlison, we're really seeing the effects of that now. The big question I've got is whether Frank can get maybe that 5-10% more out of what is a fairly average, some poor players. And it's a question I don't know if that's you know, affirmative. I don't know if Frank can do it anymore. Uh, but it's just not working, is it? It's not working. And uh, yeah, like, yeah, Coleman, Mikolenko, he didn't suit that system. But big, I'm struggling to see what system does work for us at the moment. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I mean, if we're searching for crumbs of comfort, Gavin, I mean, you're asking Matt before, do you, do you think that there could be a, a turning point for Anana, perhaps, that you actually see some something extra from him now in the second half of the season? I didn't think it necessarily a turning point. I'm not sure his, 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 his form has been that bad that he's needed to turn it around. I think it seems to stepping up to the next level and being sort of leader and stuff. And you saw that, I think, on, on Saturday. And I thought he played well. Well, before then, to be fair, um, it was good to see, but it goes back to Paul's point, doesn't it? Really, <laughs> you take that out, there's there's a um, there's weaknesses all over the shop. And I think at the start of the season, we were saying, is I get and I, I think this sort of proves Matt's point, really, to be honest with you, that if we keep it tight and don't concede, then we should be okay because teams that have a good defensive record don't tend to go down. Um, and I think once you started conceding goals, that's when we've, you know, if you have our goal, goals against last five or six games, what is it, 4 3, 3 2 2 or something? Mm-hmm. That's even before Bournemouth, um, perhaps. So, yeah, and Arnie, yeah, definitely. I think he has got the potential. And he, yeah, he was the only one who got applauded off the pitch, wasn't he, on, uh, on Saturday? Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, didn't take a lot of uh, doing, did it? Um, <laughs> you can do that, but, you know, it goes back to what Matt was saying as well. It's, we just haven't got the players. Yeah. And it's, that's the really, you know, that's the thing, isn't it? And we haven't got the players. We haven't got any money. And we haven't got any money because for, for, for all the, you know, we don't need to go on the board stuff and all that. We are still paying for that large yes in the transfer Marcus Army between 2016 and say 2019. Well, actually, set it even further to 2020, then four mm-hmm. years. And we're still paying for that, yeah. aren't we? You know, it means we've got no money to spend. And actually, when we do spend it, buying players who are maybe not as good as what we should be. And and that's really what our biggest problem is. And that's why we've not spent any money thus far in January. Uh, and because we are paying for that four year. Four-year window, you know the, the so-called window of opportunity, as far I had called it. Yeah, and it's one of them as well. So it's real, but you know, even you know, Anara is an example. I think of Everton doing good business, or example of Everton doing good business in the transfer window, right sort of profile. You've obviously done the research on him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. The flip side of that is that Everton spent what around fifteen million on Mopey in the summer, fifteen million on, on Dwight McNeil in the summer, yeah. hopefully, and neither of those lads got on the pitch. Yeah. On, on Saturday when Everton were chasing a goal, you know, Frank Lampard instead turned to a lad that we brought back off loan um, from, from a championship team a few weeks ago. So does that indicate that you know already he's starting to, to lose belief in them and you know, spending 30 million on players that we're not going to bring on in that situation as much as we can all sit here now and you know, something we've alluded to on, on recent shows that we can all sit here now and go, my word, Everton need attacking players desperately. 
one, they're not always there in January, and two, yeah. if they are there, yeah. already there's been a bit of a, there's been doubts cast over whether the recruitment team at the football club are going to be able to find them anyway. So Yeah, I, I, for Mopay, what I would say, if I was Mopay now, someone to give me stick, I'd get a DVD or whatever they have at the Brighton game at Goodison and say, right, I used to play for them. And I used to see why I scored yeah. 8, 10, 11 goals a season for them, can't you? Because of the way they play. I'm playing for you now. And they just score four goals against you. And I've scored none for you. So I wonder why I'm not scoring, lads. Hmm. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, yeah, I know it's not being great, but if you were a striker now at Everton, where would you say, where am I getting the opportunities to score? Well, pay dog, you went and get an opportunity to score at Brighton, to score 10 goals a season. Hmm. And um, he, he, he could quite, quite legitimately argue. I mean, He's not getting the service, and McNeil should be providing the service exactly as you say. But I think it, with Mopay's case, I've got a little, little bit of sympathy with him. To be fair, McNeil's just been poor, but he's been poor, hasn't he, McNeil? I don't think you can you can say anything for that. Mopay, I've got sympathy for. Um, but yeah, it just it is it, it is it is a bit concerning. But we are paying the price for that four years of largest. I was talking to I can't remember. I was talking to Chris or Joe before the game. I worked out sadly on Saturday that every for every six pounds we've earned as a football club over the last three years, one pound yeah. or six pounds has gone on Ancelotti, Rodriguez, Decore, and Alan. Nice. And one of them was one of them was only there for twelve months of that period, and one of them was only there for eighteen months of that period. We just we just overheated, and yeah. we, I mean, and to be fair, those were those were appointments and players that you know most supporters at the time agreed with. Yeah. And we're just we're just paying for that, that to Corain Allen and Rodriguez for big wages and transfers. We're all going with free, largely. And then Sosley and his coaching staff left. And it's those sorts of decisions that have cost us and um we're paying for that really badly, aren't we? And possibly will do for the next eighteen months or so. And um we've just got to try and get away getting away getting through it. Yeah, and as from a point out, um Gaff, um Decore, the only one still at the football club, and looks to be heading out on a free transfer at the end of the season. So, yeah, you spent, you spent all that money, Chris, and and yeah. and, and we end up with Decore sitting on the ball on the warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And talking about players, um, game changers, and somebody you've already mentioned, uh, Matt, just before we move on, um, Anthony Gordon. I mean, it was expected to kick on this season. Huge interest in him in the summer. It was seen as a great. Coup, the fact that Everton was able to fend off the, this this big interest for him, but it's not worked out for him. And here he is coming off the bench, you know, a team who, who was struggling, and then he, he makes a mistake like that and costs him the game. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And listen, I'm, I'm sure I'm echo everyone in here is saying people going after him after the game and chasing down his car is absolutely not on. Yeah. I'm fully out of order. You know, that, that is ridiculous. And anyone doing that does need to give their head a bit of a wobble because it is ultimately only football at the end of the day. Um, but Gordon's just not having a good time of it, is it? Do you know what? I was, I was really, of all the players that have thought benefit from that mid season break yeah. and going to Australia, he was the one that I thought really would see a different side of him after this because yeah. it felt like a little bit that after being so involved at the end of last season and the emotional and physical toll it would have taken on and what happened in the summer, he, he just looked a little bit like a, a lad that had been, you know, chewed up and spat out by, by the, the big world of, of football at this level early in the campaign 
And it felt like that break could do him. Gordy obviously went away to Australia, scored a, a, load, a load of goals, just managed to get away from it all a little bit. And he's he's just not been really been the team, has he? Yeah. He's, he's started the game yet since we've come back. He started against yeah. Wolves, didn't he? But yes, yeah. he's not started any of the other games yet. Um, and yeah, that, that 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 free kick he gave away has just sort of become a sort of a symbol of his game, hasn't it, really? In, in the start of this, this season, he's he's a lad who just plays like he's he's frustrated all the time. Doesn't really be able, he's not really able, it seems, to like kind of curb any of his, his natural instincts or, or inhibitions. And he just, yeah, it, it was very rational and a very poor cameo. Listen, I'm sure all of us, as soon as that free kick was given, we all said, this is the one team in the league you don't give a free kick to. And, and we all, well, maybe everybody in the ground knew what was coming apart from Jordan Pickford, who just stood there and watched it go and watched it go by him. But yeah, he's, he's not doing well at the moment, uh, Andy Gordon. He's, he's really struggling. But listen, He's not the only one, is he? There are a lot of lads in that team who look like they're, they're very muddled in terms of the confidence and in terms of the play at the moment. Yeah, I think we have to ask the question. So many Evertonians are now discussing it. It's not just um, on the fringes of things. You've alluded to it already, Paul. Um, I think there's a fear now. Mr Mashiri, obviously before the fixture, but Frank Lampard, he said he had faith in the, the manager and uh, believes he would, he, he would get things right. There seems to be a concern that yeah, the hiring and firing cannot continue indefinitely. It's got to stop somewhere. But is there a danger to ever actually hang on to the the manager that ultimately takes him down? Well, Mashiri's open letter. We didn't really learn much from his brief conversation from Jim White. I thought we learned a bit more. I know he shouldn't be doing it, but had him cut at it. If he's not going to do it with us, he's not going to do it with you know Greg from the Athletic, Paddy from the Athletic or BBC Radio Merseyside, local podcasts like Blue Room. If he's not going to speak to people who are on the ground there, I don't mind him actually speaking to Jim White because we actually begin to learn a bit more about him. And I, mm-hmm. I thought one of the, there was many key lines in there, wasn't it? <laughs> For a two-minute chat, yeah. he packed a lot in, didn't he? He packed a lot in. But like the, when he was talking about the fans and managers, and he was basically saying, I've never really never really been me who's initially sacked a manager. It's the fans kind of thing, you know. And I don't think he meant like the fans wanted him out, but I think it's almost like he was waiting for the manager to become unpopular. Yeah. It becomes a cross in the ground. And then he, he makes a decision like it did with Benitez, most likely. My slight concern is that Everton fans, rightly, are not going to turn against Lampard because mm-hmm. we understand that he's been dealt a very, very bad hand, you know. And we understand that, you know, what he did for the club last season. Yeah, you know, he, he, I know some people kind of mock Evertonians or Lampard because he got us, but he did at a time after six months of real coldness with Benitez. It it, it, it came as a, a big relief to have a manager like that. And, you know, okay, the scenes after Palace, we don't want him to kind of represent what we are celebrating relegation, but it, it was a relief. And seeing Lampard at the end of it really get into it, it did mean a lot. And like the things with the change room, with Coleman and the dressing room, it didn't mean a lot. I don't think everyone wants it to go right for Frank Lampard there because you can see he's trying and he comes across as a really good guy. He doesn't duck questions. But the bottom line of it, I don't think the fans are going to hound him out and, and nor should they. Well, why would we do that? Because we like him. But really... The results are speaking for themselves at the moment. I think it's 10 defeats in 13. His record's 20 and 37. And we've, we've established we haven't got the players, you know, hamstrung by the mistakes of the past, certainly financially, you know, when rivals, even today, Bournemouth are signing players, Forrest are signing players, Southampton had two new signings on the bench. It's tough for him. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've lost to Southampton. We've lost to Wolves. We've lost to Leicester. 
We lost to Bournemouth twice. Okay, we got that great result at City and Brighton. You can probably just about forgive, even though it was absolutely horrible circumstances. Those three goals after the second half because Brighton are a really good team. We're losing to teams who I'm not saying we're better than because I don't think we are, but these are the teams that we have to beat if we're going to stay up. There's just no getting away from it. Mm-hmm. There'll be no shame. It'll be hurt in a couple of weeks if or when we lose to Arsenal at home or even Liverpool away, as bad as they are. They're the kind of games, sadly, now you look on the calendar and go, you know what, we will lose those because they're better teams than us, they're much better teams. We're not even winning the games now that we were winning. We need to win to stay up. And if Mishiri, I know you guys spoke about it on Friday, if nothing's going to change at board level, and even if it did, I don't think it would have an immediate effect in transforming things on the pitch. And obviously... The strategic review that's gone on i'm sure there's a lot of good work going on behind the scenes uh but it's going to take a long time for that to come to fruition the most important thing for this club this season and next is staying up and uh because financially i don't even want to think what could happen if uh if the, if the club goes down so if he's not going to change anything at boardroom level and who knows if that would have an immediate effect probably the only and we can't really sign players the only thing you probably can change is the manager and my the question i've got in my head now is if we were to change him is there a possibility a manager somehow would get a bit more from these players or maybe make us a bit more solid if we're not going to score goals and i can't get away from the fact that i I am beginning to think that and i think certainly where i was sitting there were no no one calling lampard out but as you kind of said chris this kind of internal you know quieter discussions now that i think it might be getting to that stage but as everything with this football club, it'll be up to uh, Farlan Mascheri, so who knows what he's going to do. Yeah. Um, Gav, I mean, you're obviously the statistician. Um, Frank's statistics um, don't make great reading. His record is poorer than all, than all of his predecessors, uh, but is, is there a case that he, he should get on, uh, should be kept on because of the circumstances or, or do you feel Everton's chances would be improved with, with staying up um, with a change? <laughs> How long have you got? Um, <laughs> I, think, I think the problem we have really is to think if we're going to change it, it should have been done earlier. Yeah. Because we're now into this territory, aren't we, of last January where we changed manager and players had already been brought in and, it, you know, and that, that possibly didn't work. And, you know, so if, if you're going to have by anybody in January, you would either, either do it in two scenarios. Frank stays with those players and gets the best out of them because he ultimately him and his coaching team would hope has selected them. Or you 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 know you, you remove the services before the window starts and get somebody in and give give them the option. What you don't want is a is a what we had last year to a degree is a, is a mixture of both where you get Frank in. You know Frank's still here, but he picks the players, then somebody else pick, you know. Well, at least they haven't signed anybody this window yet. So <laughs> if you want, if you want a historical perspective, yeah. Chris, you know, like all this, it's a bit like in 1976-77, where Moore's allowed Bingham to buy Bruce Rayoch and Duncan McKenzie for for really sky high fees, and then within a fortnight sacked them. Yeah, and then Gordon Lee come in, and him and Duncan McKenzie didn't get on. You know, in you know, in a playing perspective, so so. That's the type of thing you want to avoid. And we're already in that scenario where that's a possibility, isn't it? Mm. Or a probability. Yeah. Perhaps if, if Frank uh, Frank's 
going to be kept on for one more game. So I, I personally think, I don't think there's nothing to be gained by changing manager at this juncture, changing manager. I think, I think we're, I, I think if I, I would just say to Frank, get some players in and, and you know, give you five, six weeks, see how it goes. Yeah. So two or three additions in. I don't see the point of getting rid of Frank now and then buying two or three win, bringing two or three players in before the winter. Might be a couple of loans there if we can. I just want to, we need to avoid last season's sort of mismatch, don't we? So that, that's my concern at this moment in time, not the manager, to be fair. Um, Matt, you've, you've said that, you know, it's so brutal now in the Premier League and there are, you know, other managers who seem to have a, a, bit, a bit about them. I mean, um, Frank's record, as, as we've spoken already, he certainly, you know, he, he gets Everton, but even he would acknowledge that's not enough. There's 39,000 candidates otherwise. Um, the, do you fear they ultimately fall by results in the way other managers have gone on, or should, should he deserve a bit more extra time given circumstances? I think, I think deep down, I think I feel like it's only headed one way. This, and yeah. with that in mind, I, mean, you know, I appreciate what what Gav said there, but it just feels like this is only headed in one direction. And the club, in my opinion, I've got a, a pretty straightforward decision to make. And I, you know, I, I echo everything that, that Wheelow said there in regards to Lampard. You know. I'm, it was really encouraging the way that he brought into the, the culture of the football club. Someone who's obviously not from this this part of the country, who's you know grew up in a completely different area, with different sorts of values, and he's really tried to thrust himself into it. Um, but it's it's not working. It's really not working. And I think for, for the time being, while we are a club that is effectively living hand to mouth and trying to stay up and then see what happens, um, you've got to try and protect that that Premier League status and the way in which it's going at the moment. You know. We spoke on Friday, didn't we, about the, the unique honour and inverted commas of playing the team bottom of the league at home uh, two out of the last three games, and, and we've lost it to both of them. And I think ultimately you, you can't. I mean, I, listen, I, I don't think this Everton squad is, is much better than, than where it is in the table at the moment, but that doesn't mean that a better manager can't get get more out of them. Um, so, listen, listen, if Everton can go and get somebody of the calibre of, you know, they probably won't be able to, but you look at some of the appointments that have been made so far this season, like Wolves have gone and got Lapetegui, who's, who's managed teams in, in the Champions League, the Europa League, Real Madrid, Spain. Um, Unai Emery, obviously, he's gone to Villa, who's a high-class manager as well. If Everton could go and get somebody like that or something like that's available, then I'd go and act straight away. But it's one of them now, isn't it, where because we've left it to this point and because things have got so bad and because the team is so low on the table, because there's so much animosity in the stands and and anxiety from the fans. I imagine there'll be some managers who may have looked at that this job even before the breaking force. Do you know what? Everton, decent club, got the January window coming up. I might be able to, to come in and save these and um, by kicking the can a bit further down the road. I think we, the club have probably made it harder for themselves. So, but like I said, deep down in the pit of my stomach, I, I, I don't think this is this is going to turn around, which does make me sad because I think Everton have appointed a lot of managers. In recent years, that, that have been hard to resonate with and have been hard to get behind. Uh, Frank is very easy to get behind, but results, it, you know, it's a brutal business, isn't it? Yeah, and you just got to look at the results and the way in which the team's playing. And watching Everton on Saturday, um, watching them against Wolves, watching them against, Bright, against Brighton, doesn't look like a team that's well coached to me at all, unfortunately. Yeah. And obviously, it was always going to be a big um, day for the fans, Paul, in respect to the, was the pre-match coach welcome. I, I was out there on the streets on Goodison Road uh, covering that for, for the Echo and the, the planned uh, 
protests. It must be said, obviously, that the, the banners were on display before kickoff. They were put down during the game and only came back out after uh, the final whistle. Um, what were your thoughts on um, both the, 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 the coach welcome and then the, the, the protest afterwards? Well, every credit to first on the coach welcome yeah. for every fan doing it early on a, a cold day in January, yeah. which we got there and we were dad and, you know, I say every credit, but it, to me, it was it almost showed the desperation that the club have got itself in that we're in January yeah. at home against Southampton who were bottom, yeah. and it feels like the fans have to make that effort again. You know, yeah. it's like you know, I just it was it was not the, again. This is really from again the club side on the fans. It was more understandable. Chelsea at home, United at home, all the big all the games that happened. Palace, Brentford, the back end the last season. But it's just, it's just, it's just terrible that we have to go to that Welsh again so early in the yeah. season. Uh, and I thought the atmosphere was good on there on Saturday. You know, I thought uh, obviously there was a lot of bigger issues going on off the field, which we're going to discuss. I thought the atmosphere was good. I think towards the the back end of the game, the frustration, and anxiety began to creep in, but that's completely understandable because the, the team had the game yeah. in their hands and you know what happened a minute into the second half but even then it's the, the the crowd stayed behind the team and it was only when the goal came in that you know that they actually not began to turn sour but people that sinking realization came in and you know obviously a lot of the the chance after the game and the peaceful protest was about to sat the board but i thought it was quite telling that it was almost spontaneous that you know a chance of you know fit to where the shirt yeah. came out uh because I don't think anyone was wanted to go into the game and, and we're probably planning to sing that, I'm sure. Yeah. So there was always going to be some because it was a protest against the way the club's being run. And, you know, I'm sure that wasn't nice for the players hearing that, but you play for Everton Football Club, it's a big football club, there's a lot of pressure. And, you know, my personal perspective, it comes from the top down. And Farhad Mishiri, the book stops with him for the problems that we've, we've currently got. Uh, and we've talked about Lampard how his results aren't stacking up but the players you've got to sound to suck it up a little bit really because the performances aren't good enough maybe I don't think they weren't trying I thought they did try I thought they tried against Wolves I thought they tried up until the three goals went in against Brighton really and maybe they're just not good enough but there's just so much anger there's so much frustration desperation sadness I found a lot of mm. sadness there on Saturday and the players came into the firing line a little bit really but in terms of the protest after the game we stayed for a little bit, me and my dad, before I came home because I had to, to do work. Uh, and it seemed peaceful, Matt. You'll be able to tell us better. And Chris, obviously, from mm. the press box and Gav. But, you know, yeah, for everything I've seen in the ground, there was understandable anger with the way the, the match finished. But the rest of the time, it seemed like the, it was a peaceful process and it, it, yeah. was, it was what it was wanted. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Gav, was a pretty desperate situation. And like I said, Paul said, the fact that they're having to feel the need to do this in January, but then the team didn't respond. And as it's been said, along with the planned board protest, there was um, shouts against the players as well. Yeah, can I just say as well, uh, well done to the steward and after the game on Saturday. In, in quite difficult circumstances yeah. that and everything as well appeared to be well controlled. Um, I, think that, I think that's a point worth making. Well, I can only, it's like, what can you say? What can you say about after the game? It's just appalling, isn't it, really? Just appalling. Yeah. You play as you can. 
gives you the right to do that. It just doesn't. And how how that affects players. I'm speaking about Gordon here particularly. Um, you know, you you they, you know, it doesn't help, does it? And I just think it's borders on criminal behaviour, doesn't it? Saying the Gordon one, and that's no 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 right to do that. And it's just you know, it's just for you know people, you know, to talk about it deeply. But you know, there's stuff said about why directors didn't turn up for the game and stuff because of potential threat. Well, you see any evidence for that? Then you're after the game. That that was my take on it, and I I just thought it doesn't help anybody. The other thing as well is you wouldn't take on Yerry Mina, would you? <laughs> <laughs> he is a he is a big unit, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, if you if you said to, if you start to give it stick to Yerry, I think I think there's only one outcome there. He's a he's a big fella, and yeah. that's a, a fair play to Yerry uh, for getting out and you know. Um, and, and 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 having a word, I think that there's you know that takes a bit of um, you know a bit, bit of cojones, but he, um, he you know he's got the he's got the muscle I think to back it up really, and yeah. but I, I I was just it was appalling, and, and I, it's a I'm just trying to think. We spoke about the January window and managers and stuff. That's just that damages the reputation of the club, that doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it make a club an attractive proposition for the player to join? That type of stuff. No, it doesn't. I know it's isolated, and people say, mm-hmm. "Oh, yeah, a couple of people shouldn't spoil it for everybody else and stuff." But if you're a player, you'd be looking at that, wouldn't you? And go, "Hmm, not sure what I'd fancy going there at the moment." And that—that's the damaging thing for me as well. Yeah, I mean, Matthew, you've already spoken about those um, isolated incidents outside the ground. But you were in the, the Gladys Street, yeah. yeah. So, um, how's it for, for you both in terms of pre-match and then post-match? I uh, so I, I didn't get there for the, the bus yeah. welcome, but. Um... After after the game, you know, just effectively echoing what what we said, it all seems to be done pretty um, well, and there's, there's no real sense that, that anything was, was really going to kick off. Um, I think there's a few people who stood up on like the little sort of like the shelf, like in front of the Gladys Street, where the advertising boards are, and held the banners up. But I didn't see anyone try and get onto the pitch or anything like that. And um, I think the stewards were trying to stop the players from. I'm coming over, Seamus Coleman sort of came through anyway and, and came over and he, and he got a little bit of a round of applause and, and his champ going. But um, but yeah, I, I was surprised, honestly, by the amount of people that, that stayed behind. Obviously, there was quite a swell of people there to begin with and then as it went on, it obviously, obviously filtered out um, more and more. But listen, it's, it was, it's an emphatic message, isn't it? Um, it's, it's one of them where I think in the past these things have, have happened and the intentions from various people that have been there and been obvious and maybe they haven't been that well attended. That that felt like certainly since I've been going to watch Everton, maybe the, the biggest show of you know animosity and, and unity against against the people at the top of the football club. Um but like Gav said, it, it is such a shame that you know obviously there's there's, there's a group going on at the moment that are trying to protest and stress that things are going to be done peacefully and trying to do things in the right way. But what some people outside the ground have done with with Mina and, and Gordon is I sort of undermine that and, and obviously they're frustrated but by doing what they've done now they've taken the focus away from what should have been a peaceful protest after the game mm-hmm. with yeah. the people at the top of the football club doing it in the right manner and people are talking about people sharing videos of Vanley Gordon and, and Yerry Mina and you know that picture of Ellis Sims blessing he looked absolutely shell-shocked didn't he in his car after it you know he it's um it, it is it's quite sad that it sort of ended up like this and like I said, I know it's frustrating. I know everyone's really passionate about this football club and, and we all love it. 
I maybe hate it in a equal measure of times, but but it is it is just football, and, and you know these lads are human beings, and, and in the main, I think they are all trying the best for, for this football club. So I think maybe sometimes people need to take a, a bit of a deep breath. But um, in regards to the protest, in regards to what um, NS now, I think the the, the call uh, trying to do it, it felt like that that was all done in the right way. Unfortunately, a few idiots have spoiled it, and it's um, it's not good for the football club at all. Unfortunately. Well, I've been thrust at a list of potential Everton transfer targets in front of me. It's not come from Kevin Fairwell. This has come from one of our, for, uh, from our Echo colleagues who, who he wants us to, um, to, to, dis, to discuss it. Obviously, there's, not, there's nobody come through the, the door um, as of yet. Um, given that you um, used to cover Blackburn Rovers, Paul, I'll maybe ask you about Ben Brereton Diaz because he's one who cropped up in, in, in the summer. Um, I understand it. I was told that it would have been the easiest deal Everton could have done um, had they, uh, they they gone for him. Obviously, there's the issue now of his, his contract um, running out. Would I mean? Would he be someone you think could possibly make a difference? Or what you, it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting. Like I know it's kind of been mocked a little bit ever since he struck Diaz and the end of his name became a <laughs> Chile international. His career has changed for the better, but it, it truly has. Uh, Black, he was, I, I'd heard about him when he was at Notts Forest, Nottingham Forest, not Notts yeah, Forest, Nottingham Forest. Yeah, I'm obsessed with Forest, I mean, he, he was the, the big prospect coming out of that academy. Blackburn signed him. Tony Mowbray at that time didn't have a lot of money to spend. Thank mm. He's a bit like Mashiri, kind of thing. <laughs> he was at one point willing to give managers money and then financial fair play kind of stepped in. But they did, they paid up to £7 million for him. I can't remember exactly how long it didn't work out, but it was over a prolonged period. And then, you know, got into the Chile squad and his game has transformed. You know, he's one of the top scorers in the championship last season. I don't think he's been quite as prolific this season, but he's still, I think he's close or around double figures. Uh, and yeah, Venkis, they're, they're an inter- <laughs> interesting, I would say, Lisa, we've spoken about them on this podcast when I've been on before. But they would quite willingly let his contract run down unless they get the price that yeah. they, they wanted. And uh, not too long ago, Adam Armstrong obviously came on on Saturday. He was in a similar situation going into his last year. And they were, again, they eventually got, I think, up to 20 million for him. And I think that's the kind of price they've been looking for uh, for, for Diaz as well. They've, 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 toiled, they've slipped up quite a lot lately, Blackburn, but they're still in the playoff mix. So I think, as you said, I think if Everton would have gone, it's fifteen million pounds. Maybe instead of Mopay, yeah. they would have got him. Uh, he's never played at the the top level. That's the that's the gamble. He's a good player. Whenever I've watched him, he's a good player. He's not he, even though he's a big lad. He's not a centre forward. Mm. Plays more off the flanks, but he's got he's got a goal in him. Technically very good. <sighs> yeah, maybe in the summer. I, I think I would have preferred him to, to, to maybe Mopay in the summer. Now. It's just such a huge gamble whether we financially have got that kind yeah. of money to spend or whether we should even spend it if we're going down. Uh, maybe in the summer, stay up, game on a free transfer. You know, that'll probably, that'll probably do for me. Yeah. Gav, we need to, um, somebody who can hit the ball, uh, sorry, hit the ground running at Everton. So I'm looking at this, this list here and one of the names on it is... Uh, Danny Ings, former Liverpool striker, Danny Ings, who's been linked to Everton in recent times. I'm not too sure how keen he'd be to come to Goodison Park, but how keen would you be to, to have him? I scored a lot of goals against Everton. I wish I wish he could have told us this list before we started, Chris, so we could have yeah. a quick 
see what's happening with them. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's, yeah. Matt's going to get some fella from the French second division, apparently. Uh, yeah, he, 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 he can see the list. I, I might let him choose. Yeah. Otherwise, be even away on his phone. Working out which ones he's going to get us the most. Definitely leaving that one. I can't even say Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, so... I mean, he's a proven Premier League goal scorer. He's a certain proven Premier League goal scorer against Everton, isn't he? Yeah. I think he's scored more goals against us than any other team. You like that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Nah, I'm not sure what he does, Anderson. Hasn't he been injured as well? Well, it's, that's been the problem, I guess, wasn't it? Is his is his, um, his injury record, and we've had a few of those. I don't don't think uh, he, he he wouldn't float my uh, float my boat, Danny Ings. To be fair, a few years ago he would have. To yeah. be fair, when when you know when he went to, to go to Burnley to Liverpool, was it Ings? Was yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. Know, when, wasn't it? Samson, when, I don't think that around that time he would have. I think they would have done a decent job for us, but a big nil point for me. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Matt, you can see the list. I'll let you. I'll let you choose from uh, those who are remaining. Oh, that's all fair, Chris. I was. Yeah. I, was <laughs> I had no choice. I know. The the old four names on it are Alanga, uh, Kudus, who I think is probably the boat beyond beyond yeah. now, isn't he? Yeah. Um, Ishmael Asar, I'm assuming that that's our is from Watford. Uh, Victor Giorgiras. I can't read the round to that one. Um, <laughs> from Coventry. I mean, of them all, Alanga feels like the one that's, that's most likely, doesn't it? Although this morning, um, you know, in, in our blog, there's reports that, I think from TalkSport, that Borussia Dortmund um, are looking at him and, and Bournemouth as well. So, I mean, Bournemouth just needs to be sat on every one of them. Everyone we're linked with. Yeah, everyone we're linked with. It's going there. Which is yeah. concerning, isn't it? Yeah, you've yeah. seen the seven one I could go winning over us in those two games before. Yeah, we'll go there instead. But, I mean, you're asking a lot of any of them, aren't you? Really, you know, Alanga's not played much footy at all recently. Sarah, I imagine, will potentially come in and be able to help us a little bit, but in the same breath, you think the Watford would, would want a bit of money for them. Yeah. Um, I'm not entirely sure how they get on this season, but I imagine they'll be looking to get close to playoffs and promotion again, so I don't know why they'd sell in. Um, Kyokras is an interesting one, isn't it? I think he's he's very much of the same sort of profile as, as Carvalho, and quite a, a tall lad who's rangy, um, can shift a little bit as well. Um, and seems like a good finish. He looks like a, a really good player, but again, mm. you're asking someone to come in. I imagine Coventry wouldn't want to lose in mid-season either, so it, it's dead difficult. I mean, the one that feels the most likely there is is Alanga. Um, but the one thing I'll say about Ben Britton Diaz is he's definitely going to have there for, for growing your hair long and, and growing a beard. So that's why, uh, <laughs> that's why I'm following that path. Yeah. So he, maybe we'll sign Matt by yeah, he's, he's been transformed since he started. He started letting his hair grow. So yeah, that's, that's the path I've been following. Oh, there you go. Sorry to drop Gavin it, but. Um... It's all right. Ben's I think it was one of them. A couple of yours yeah. I may have struggled, Chris, to be yeah, fair. No yeah, that's a, I thought it would be all right. You might be yeah. replacing Cameron Farwell, Gav. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I don't, yeah, yeah. I'm sure why I'm definitely not suited to uh, that, that, uh, that yeah. job. That job, definitely. Yeah. Well, maybe it's the gallows humour, but we always seem to end on a smile on our face after... Um, talking miserably for uh, for over half an hour or so, but we'll be back with you um, ahead of um, the trip to um, the east of London at the weekend for what is, uh, I say, a huge game. They're all huge games, aren't they now? But it's a six-pointer, as it were, in January um, against uh, David Moyes, West Ham um, United. So I uh, join myself for going down to that one. And uh, thanks to Gavin, to Paul and to Matt, and I've been your host, Chris Beasley. This has been the Royal Blue Podcast. 
You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.